the volume. The Sessions is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. They're America's number one sportsbook for a reason, y'all. It's so easy to use. It's safe and secure. That's one of the main things for me. I don't want any BS. I love that there's no BS with FanDuel. Plus, you get your winnings fast. Now winnings are delivered in as quick as two hours. Plus, it's super fun to combine multiple bets from the same game into a same game parlay. It's awesome. So if you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with the promo code Renee, that's R-E-N-E-E, so that they know that I sent you. Disclaimer, 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, Wyoming, or West Virginia. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona 18887897777 or visit ccpg.org/chat for Connecticut 1800gambler or visit fanduel.com/rg for Colorado, Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, New Jersey, Pennsylvania and Virginia 1877770stop for Louisiana 1800270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan 18778hopeny or text hopeny for New York Tennessee Redline 1800889 and 1-800-522-4700 for Wyoming. Visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia. Hey guys, welcome to the best of the sessions. What we have done is we've combined the best of Tuesday's episode and Thursday's episode, mashed them together to give you a beautiful little audio gift for your ear holes. We have some awesome, awesome guests on the show. Cannot thank people enough for taking the time to, to come hang out with me. Give me a little bit of their time. We give you a little bit of that. We all get to hang out and enjoy it, learn a little bit about each other. Um, so it's really cool to mash these all together and you guys can get those little abbreviated highlights of both of the interviews throughout the week. Also, of course, if you want to listen to the full lengths, you can do that. They all exist. Uh, just make sure to check out all things from the Volume Podcast Network. Like, subscribe, turn on those notifications, all that good stuff. But let's get into it. Here's the best of the sessions. <laughs> apologize because I am in my reptile room as usual and it is incredibly hot. Well, you look like a million bucks. Eyes to start the day. There we go. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting stared at by my lizards who are usually crawling all over me. I've just finished feeding them and looking after them and I put them back in the cages and they're just giving me the dead eye now. What is the head count of the, the lizards and uh, other amphibians first? I don't have any amphibians. No amphibians. No, oh, no. Oh, no. I have two uh, tegus in here, which are from South America. And then I've got a water mon- baby water monitor upstairs who I'm trying to get tame. It takes a long time to not think you're going to eat them when they're little. Once they get big, they get ridiculously tame. And these two are about, these are two and a half years old. They're not anywhere near as big as they should. But they're big, but they're nowhere near as big as they, they're going to be like probably three to four times as big as they are now. But they're still nearly three foot and about eight pounds, the, the male at the moment. So he's going to get huge. Okay, I have a lot of questions about this, but let's bring the lizards in. Grab a lizard. This is a, it's called, it's a red tegu, but it's a high white red tegu, which means it's been specifically bred over 10 generations to highlight the white more. So. They're very cat-like. They're very tame, but they're very cat-like. And in fact, they don't, they've had enough of you. They've had enough of you. But he's got a heart right underneath his chin there. Can you see it? Oh my gosh. Look at his jubbly little neck bits. Where does the love of the lizards come from? How did you get into acquiring all these beasts? I don't know. I think I had my first lizard when I was nine. I left home when I was 16. So I did know any for a couple of years, but then I did. And then once I, I was met my wife um, and we got our first place together when I was, it just turned 18. And I've always kept something since then. Obviously I was traveling a lot, so my wife looked after me. I used to keep spiders. My wife hates spiders. You hear these stories of people coming home and finding the wives with another fellow. I come on, and she denies this to this day. I come home one night, and I found my wife with a knitting, one of her knitting needles trying to stab my tarantula to death. 
because it was trying to get out of its cage. It was crawled up the side of the glass and was trying to get out. So I'm not allowed to have the spiders anymore, but um, I have the lizards. Um, I got two here. I got, a, like I said, a baby water monitor. Water monitor is the second biggest lizard in the world. A friend of mine called Kevin McCurley, who's a genius reptile breeder in Boston, just outside of Boston, New Hampshire. He bred this specific locale of called the Guru line, which probably will only get as a male get to five feet and about 50 to 60 pounds, whereas a regular male will get to eight feet and about 100 pounds. The lizard that I just showed you and the species of lizard, tegus, are the crossover animal between reptile and mammal because they are very, very uh, mammal-like in, in the way they act. And they're also, they're all, up to now, the only reptile they've found, because they're cold-blooded, that can increase their own temperature by 15 degrees. You make this sound like charming. Like, I wouldn't have thought that I'd be interested, but now I'm like, wait, do I want to dabble in the lizard world? They sound so sweet. There's some incredible, small, beautiful lizards, like, gargoyle and, and crested geckos and leopard geckos and bearded dragons, which grow to nice sizes and are very easy to look after. When you have big lizards like this, you end up needing room size. Like I'll, I'll have huge cages now. They will have like half room size cages and the water monitor will have a, a full room size cage and they cost a lot because we are in that this room and it is incredibly hot. I've already had to wet my hair down this morning. My hair is going to look as limp as a priest's handshake by the time we've finished this. Let me say this. John and I were watching some classic Regal moments this morning. You really have a really great head of hair. Really, your follicles are on point. You've really maintained a, a lush head of hair. Oh, it's lucky. All the stuff I've gone through as well, you think it fell out by now, right? <laughs> Um, you mentioned your wife earlier. You guys have been together for so long. What do you attribute the the longevity of your relationship to and like keeping things alive and keeping the spark alive? My wife's been far more wonderful than I am and looking after me and being an incredible person and taking care of everything when I was away. This is before I came to America. I mean, there was one time the year before I came to America, 1992, I was away for nine months. Then the year I came to America, 93, we saw each other. She came for three months of the summer because that's all she was allowed to come for because of visas. We have a silly sense of humor and it gets us through things and we, we laugh about stuff and sometimes don't. And and, and, and that's life. Uh, we've got each other and that's what matters. And, she, and, and another thing is she doesn't, from the day I met her, she doesn't like wrestling in any way. So there's no wrestling at my house. My sons were brought up without any wrestling apart from coming to one week a year. They'd come in their school holidays with me. William Regal gets left at the airport. And I used to have a, I had a, a very strict rule with that. Even to wrestle in Atlanta, I live south of Atlanta, but to live in Atlanta, I had to go past the airport to get to the arena in Atlanta. And that's when William Regal switches on and Darren switches off when he comes home and you, there's not a picture of me in this house anywhere of anything you wouldn't know I was a wrestler and I, I think a, a, another thing a true part of that is the fact that I go away a lot we don't get on each other's nerves as much as we probably well I, it's not that my wife gets on my I would get on hers I get up this like this morning and I'm doing Elvis impressions and she's just looking at me like I've just dropped out of a dog's backside like you mental <laughs> I feel like your wife and I could probably, um, we, we probably have a lot in common when it comes to uh, the ridiculous things that happen in our households. You've both chosen to spend your lives with rogues. And I think that's what attracts me to your husband. And rogues spot rogues. And myself and John spent so little time around each other, except for a few car rides when we first met. This was mainly on him because he likes to keep his mystique about him, which is what I liked. And if we were in a car and maybe Claudio was there or something, but we, we sort of, I don't know if that was him purposely trying to like keep this thing going with us, uh, because we used to talk a little bit about that, that, that nobody has any mystique. I remember John saying to me once, this was when I first met him, you know, nobody has any mystique in this job. And I somewhat, 
I'm more open to it, but I can I still keep a bit of mystique because you don't know what the character's going to be. What about with Brian? What is the relationship like with Brian? I mean, you guys go so far back, especially early on for, for Brian's career. What is your relationship like with him? It's more of a friendly, chatty relationship, but it's always been like that. I ended up inheriting the training job at Memphis Championship Wrestling. I came back to WWE in... There's a few myths about how I got back to WWE. They're not true. Back there at the beginning of March, starting on the 1st of March, I went to Memphis Championship Wrestling for six months, being told by Jim Ross, you'll be there exactly six months, and as long as you don't do anything silly, which my life would change the year before, I just go, no, that's the end of that. Whatever I was going through before, just moved on. And I was there exactly six months. I had a certain match at a point a lot of people know about, but I had a match that went on at a Brian Pillman show at that time. That's what we were watching this morning was that match. John really wanted to to get into that. I've heard stories of that's what got me back in WWE. I was already paid by WWE. They were seeing my stuff every week from Memphis and getting reports about what I was doing. That just happened to be why it was going on. Why does that match feel so special? It seems like that is kind of the standard bearer for a lot of professional wrestlers to look to. It's just another day at work to me, you know, I mean, because it, we've been doing that kind of stuff. You're being humble. No, but we, there's, there's, there's videos with Chris. You can actually find one. I think it's on my birthday, 10th of May, 1993. There's one on YouTube of me and him doing that same style of stuff in some little place in Tennessee for WCW and people hadn't got a clue what we were doing. We were doing, that was what we did. Anytime we got to, to wrestle each other. We did different stuff than everybody else and, and a different kind of whatever. So it was just, we got booked together, we turned up, and I don't mind telling that story. I know it's a t- touchy subject, and, and, and it should be, but let's separate whatever happened to the actual talent and, and the person. I had a pretty much of a plan of what this match was because it was stuff that I either knew we could do or we didn't need to talk about. We just react off each other. But there is a myth out there that I, I got hired back by WWE after that. I was already working for WWE. I finished getting paid for WCW on the 28th of February, 2000. I started getting paid by WWE on March the 1st. And then March, I think it was about the 8th or whatever, I went to Memphis. I was there for six months. And then I started coming back on doing little bits. And then the first thing that I ever did was with Chris Jericho when I did a goodwill ambassador thing and it was six months exactly because i went to memphis and we did some incredible stuff there less than a month brian turned up brian and spanky and lance cade and a fellow called shooter shots who were all from Shawn michael school and i was going to the training and then when everybody left i'd stay in the ring on my own and that's all of a sudden from day one brian and spanky and the guy called, uh, who gets no recognition anymore, but should do because he was head of the game on a lot of independent star wrestling, was uh, Reckless Youth, Tom Carter. He was there at the time. And we train on all kinds of stuff because they were helping me as much. And people say, I help. No, they helped me far more than I think I helped them. And then they started showing me different Japanese stuff because I knew my stuff from New Japan, but then they were showing me all Japan stuff and that. So we were sort of doing all this incredible mixing of styles and, and they were they were helping me more than I, as much if not more than I was helping them but I was showing them old English stuff or we were watching tapes and, and we were just working on all this stuff and so that led to my connection with Brian and then it went from there you know I, I got moved up to the main roster Brian went on his way eventually I helped I, it's not, I don't like to say I did anything for him because it was just, he wanted to get good at that European style. I hooked him up going to England, which he did for the next four years. When he was doing independent shows, when he was back in America, occasionally he'd come and stay at my house. He was in the Atlanta area. He turned up once, he looked like the Unibomber. And I said to him, what's the beard all about? He went, you do know that razors are $10 a bag. And I went, okay, that makes perfect sense to you why you've got this beard. and. His gear, gear was a bit scruffy, 
So this this would have been beginning into the 2000s now. In 1996, I, I had what I thought was one of my best wrestling years in WCW. I was the only person that year, and you can look this up, who was really going all over the world. Because I was in WCW, but I was going backwards and forwards to Japan. And I was also, they let me go to England. They let me go to Germany. That I was doing other things. And I was wrestling all the luchadors and all the people that nobody else could wrestle. So anyway, I, I used to, that's where the maroon came from. I used to wear trunks and boots. I had a gear change about the first few months of 1996. Well, I still had the same boots and trunks. So I gave those to Brian because he looked like a tramp, to be honest with you. As, as, well, well, you know, there's no word, tramp in America means something different than England. No, like Lady and the Tramp, you're scruffy and like uh, homely. He looked like a tramp, so I give him this gear. So any of that stuff that he had with the maroon boots, knee pads and trunks, they were mine. These are just things that happened, but my name gets attached to him or things like this. There's little things that connect to call. But also, in March 2000, WWE sent me over to California for a three-day seminar with the UPW people. So I met, at the same time as meeting Brian, I met John Cena, Samoa Joe, Chris Daniels, Frankie Kazarian, Victoria, all these people that were there. So all of a sudden, between them knowing that I would help people, between Brian, the word of Brian spreading and and. Ring of Honor starting because of really one match that Spanky and Brian Danielson had. That was the thing that sort of got that going. All these younger wrestlers started, if they were extras for WWE, or even if not, they were somehow getting hold of me and asking me to watch their stuff because it was the day of the DVD. There'd been an influence of British wrestling. The tape traders had started getting stuff. And what they were getting was Johnny Saint and Steve Gray and Iron Fist, Clive Myers. I was seeing people trying to do some of this English stuff but not quite knowing how to do it. Not long after, I think it was 2002 or three. Dave Taylor lives three miles from me, just down the road. He, he opened up a finishing school for wrestlers. It, it lasted about a year. But one of the first things that happened was CM Punk, Chris Hero and Ace Steel all turned up one week together. I met those guys. And then not long after that, Cesaro, when he was living in Switzerland, turned up to Dave Taylor's school. So I'd come back off the road for WWE on Tuesday. I'd be there Wednesday, Thursday, just help for a few hours. So I got to know that group of fellas. And it's sort of meeting anytime we're in the Northeast, especially in the Northeast of, of America, which was a lot, as you know, is a lot of the shows are there. A lot of the extras that were coming, who were people who either worked in Ring of Honor or were in that independent world. The word go around that there's somebody that was is quite happy to give you all your time because I didn't play cards. I've got no interest in sports. I don't like pack mentality and gossip. So I used to not be in the dressing room a lot, right? Some people at the time took that as me being a bit arrogant. No, I was out by the ring. And if you want to come and pick my brain, and, and it's not that I know anything, I want to learn as much from you as I can learn because it's all changing, right? I want to learn from the talent as much as they can take from me but I can say well maybe try this maybe try that or and it's not about me it's about what I've seen or been through or say look I can save you a thousand matches worth of working this out if you just do that it'll look better or I've seen this guy do this or I've seen this lady do this or I've seen this because I've been around for 39 years since I had my first match so really quickly, and we don't need to dwell on this by uh, any stretch of the nature, but talking about the moments of you being let go by WWE, you take onus for a lot of those moments and the things that you were doing and you know where you were at in your life at that point. But this time around, being released from NXT, uh, given the role that you were in, the many different hats that you were wearing there... Um, how did you feel about that one? Like, I can't imagine that you feel that that one is one that you should be taking ownership for. I was expecting it, to be honest. It makes perfect business sense as well, because you can't have somebody else come in when everybody there is still coming up to me and asking me what they should be doing. 
Could you really feel the changes starting to happen? I mean, yes. I mean, that was happening from from last summer, and it was the perfect storm. It and then Paul got ill. I was all I was all on board for the changes. I'm going to tell this. Might as well tell this story now. How long have we got, Renee? Have we got a bit of time? We have as much time as you want. Okay, so I have a theory that everything peaked at Portland. We did Portland NXC in February of 2020. And we all came out after that night. Didn't matter what was going on else again. Everybody's got a different story. 2019, after the initial thing of, oh, there's another show starting, it was, if you want to all think about this or you're trying to beat this or you're trying to, I'm not. There's a hundred other people that will be thinking about what's going on somewhere else. It's just wasted headspace for me. I'm going to work on the people that work with us and try to help them get better. That's just me. Football fans, check out the Three and Out podcast with John Middlecoff, only on the Volume Podcast Network. John brings his unique perspective as an ex-NFL scout to the Volume to break down all the news around the NFL and college football. Whether you're looking for game predictions, coaching searches, the ins and outs of the NFL front office, even an occasional golf tip. John has you covered. Download Three and Out with John Middlecoff, only on the Volume Podcast Network. I've been whitening my teeth. What do we think? How are you whitening them? So I got this stuff called um, opalescence. So it's like these little trays that you put in. In it, listen, it, I also got this stuff called like M1 paste that you put on it so that your teeth don't get sensitive. Do you, do you, you must whiten your teeth. You've got a great smile. Thank you. What do you use? I use the pen. I like painting on my teeth. Like it's a fun little nighttime, like, oh, I get to do this. How long do you leave it on for though? Do you just leave it and then it does its thing? You're supposed to stay like this for 30 seconds and then you can just romp as you please. Obviously, you're not supposed to eat or drink anything after it. But Okay, so that's not so bad. Does it kill your teeth, though? Because I find whitening my teeth is like a very painful process. This is not, though. The the opalescence I am thriving with, but anytime I use like a Crest White Strip. This is the sponsor for today? <laughs> I wish. Oh, my God. I wish they would. Guys, opalescence. Everybody buy it. It's on Amazon. Let's all have really nice white teeth. This is what mid-30s Renee is focused on. I want a great smile. It's time. At this point in my career, it's time to really hunker down. It's because the coffee-heavy mid-20s, Renee, it's caught up to you. Actually, I didn't start drinking coffee until my mid-30s, so joke's on you, RJ. Are you, what are you, a tea person? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, same, same. You were just like, you wanted it to taste like worse. You're a tea person? No, I'm a coffee person. Oh, obviously, you make coffee in your underwear. What's the deal with that? Why did you start doing that show? Why are you making coffee in your underwear? What is this thirst trap content you're putting out? First of all, are we on? Have we started? Yeah. And you've just decided not to give me a nice intro or establish who I am or anything at all? We do it in post, babe. We do it in post. I do a whole intro for the show when no one's here. That way I can just be me and I can be free and I can really pump your tires without you being here because I wouldn't want to do it with you on the Zoom. Right. My theory is you set the bar. Like if we did this and you didn't like it, then you can go back and then the intro, you'd be like, you know, it was it was freewheeling. I'm sure there was a lot going on and you're, you said it so people aren't disappointed. Well, it is sort of a weird thing when you do an intro for the show, because sometimes I just like I give people like a heads up what's in the episode. But that's kind of fucking pointless because they're already there. I should just I don't know. I should tell a different joke. You should maybe do something from the Sunday funnies or something. <laughs> um, so coffee and underwear. There was a period four or five years ago where everyone started streaming and Twitch was trying to get wrestling stuff and whatever. And I had tweeted as a joke that I'm just I'm just going to stream me making coffee in my underwear, because which is something I would do on Sunday mornings, just in general. Sure. Coffee makes me hot. So it was easier to be in my underwear, and not get overheated. I enjoyed blowing a Sunday morning, just doing nothing but like drinking coffee very slowly and just talking about whatever. And then Tommy Dreamer had commented on the post and said, you might as well. Everyone else is streaming stuff. It's just as stupid. And I thought, well, I, I guess I might as well. So then I, I said, Let, let's just do one and then see how it goes. And then I've done it for over four years. Now. <laughs> 
it caught on like wildfire. People like a man making coffee in his pantaloons. It's less sexual than it sounds. It's far less sexual. I mean, that's usually the best way, right? Because then people don't feel so weird about consuming this content. They're like, hey, it's not, you know, I don't have to scour the deep, dark web for it. Um, I'll tell you, I had a rude awakening um, looking up things, uh, dirty things on the Internet. (laughs) So I had tweeted out my love of the Blackpool Combat Club, which their acronym is BCC. You had to, you, oh my God. I didn't know what that meant. So I tweeted that and everyone's like, whoa, sweet, innocent little me didn't know what that meant. But wait, what what does it mean to you? So, okay, so it's it's actually wrong. It would be BBC. I'm, yeah, I'm, yes, I've heard. (laughs) I was in fucking tears on my couch. I thought it was the funniest thing that, that everybody thought that that, that I just, I simply tweeted out, I love BCC. Uh, so it just, it made it all very, very funny. But anyways, it can be really sketchy when you start to Google things like that on your phone. You know, our phones are always listening. It starts to give you uh, suggested searches. Find it very hard to believe that you've been this professionally savvy. You've been online for this long and this is news to you. I think it's a real nice angle. It is news to me. Maybe I need to broaden my Googling horizons. Maybe I'm the one. I'm shortchanging myself. Take the safety off. Type in CBT and just (laughs) knock yourself out. (laughs) Ah, so great. Okay, so we're doing, um, I I don't want to call this a redo of an interview. Yeah, this is a makeup in a sense. Yeah, because Danhausen... Uh, You guys stepped in while I was massively pregnant about to, well, I think, I guess it aired while I was pregnant, but yeah, Danhausen had you and I got to interview you and I was like, wait, but I want to hang out with RJ. Let's have another go at this. Mm, It's taking you quite a while. It's been a sizable gap. We're busy. I couldn't do it back to back to back. That would be weird. I got to give people, give a little, a little room to breathe. I, speaking of room to breathe, I was very bothered that we did the episode and you weren't actually not there. <laughs> I was hovering. That was unfair to me, I thought. Probably a little unsettling for Danhausen as well. I was just like breathing down his neck while he was guest hosting the show. Because I went in with a certain angle and a certain mood. And then to have you there mm, just changed the chemistry of the room. Shit. Yeah, well, so. I'm sorry, but I'm I guess I've completely changed the chemistry of this one too. Cuz here we are in the here flesh. We are. Well, not well, really. We're just the, in the Zoom. Yeah, you started talking about googling things. I mean, very <laughs> weird. Slippery, slippery slope. Um, okay, where to start with you? What is your relationship with Danhausen? How did you guys become <laughs> friends? You guys are like a match made in heaven. Yeah. I want to just go to like a Denny's with you too. Yeah. Okay. It's not, I don't, you're expecting some sort of act at Denny's. Kind of. Yes. But I also would just love to see when the act is dropped and you guys are just existing. Well, okay. Let me say this about me. And this is a quote from our dear friend, Nug. Oh, Nug. Let's for Nug, a little small applause. Sweet Nug. Sweet Nug. He said, the great thing about me is that everybody thinks it's an act. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so this is usually it. I'm sure Danhausen has some levels to his character and his human being. Yes. There's di- there's different stages of that, but I've not got to hang out with you in real life very much at all. No. So yeah, I don't I anytime I see you, it's it's in a capacity like this where one is kind of like on. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure I'm sure there's a little difference. Maybe a little bit. I would hope so. But I had wrestled Danhausen pre-Danhausen. Oh my gosh. What was that like? He was a guy, he was a wrestler. I mean, he was nice and cool and you know, and he was obviously into odd things, but it didn't mesh up with his character at all. And then, and I had forgotten this, I wrestled him again in a tag match when he was toying with the Danhausen character. And I believe he had some makeup in his face and things of that nature. And then he, he started doing the Danhausen stuff and I was at an indie show too. And I said, well, do you want to do coffee and underwear? Cause sometimes I will pre-tape it if I'm not around on the Sunday morning. So he said, sure. So we were in, I think um, a Legion hall or they were doing ax throwing. And then we snuck into a person's office. The, I guess the head ax master, we snuck into their office and we turned on the camera 
And I guess to both of our surprises, it was perhaps funnier and more enjoyable than we thought it was going to be. And the relationship just sprouted from there. It grew some legs. Well, then we put it online, a, a clip of it, of me trying to get him to say housing and he will not say housing. And we keep going around in this horrible circle. And, you know, it went beyond our immediate circles. It, it, People really, really seem to like it. <laughs> and we both went, that's weird. This is very strange. <laughs> and then we ended up. So, you know, there is something here. And then we, we did it a couple more times. And then we've always kind of stayed in touch online in that in that regard. It's funny yeah. how relationships like that can kind of like sprout. Like, I don't even really know how like I became like, I'm not friends with Dan House and like you're friends with Dan House, but like we're buds. And I don't really know how that even started. But I think it was just like, yeah, maybe like a couple exchanges on Twitter, doing each other's shows, seeing each other here and there. Uh, but yeah, it's a very funny like day and age how that just kind of happens. That's how like friendships then- start. Yeah. Next thing you know, we're we're doing uh, we're both doing an AEW thing together <laughs> and it's it's the same shit. And we're I feel like I don't know how he feels, but I'm looking like uh, are we just doing the same thing that we do like this is suddenly it's popular and successful. <laughs> I'm, uh, OK, I guess. How I guess proud are you to be able to see what he's doing with AEW and like the insane reactions that he gets that an act like that he brings to the table that is very unique and might not thrive everywhere is doing so well in AEW. I'm I'm perhaps not proud of him. I'm proud of, of, like Tony Khan for having the flexibility and the openness to recognize like, Hey, you know, cause I'm sure he was just for other promotions. He was on just a no list or <laughs> like yeah, some kind of like circus act kind of thing. Bring him in yeah. for like, you know, a small stint here or there, or I mean, cause he's actually like a good wrestler as well. So, I mean, they could, and who gives a shit? Who gives Is anyone, a shit? Are the good wrestlers, even good wrestlers. Who cares? Right. Come on, it's a hammerlock. We've all seen that. <laughs> Put on a hold. Who cares? But I, I am, I guess, I, but yeah, proud of him in a sense that he was like, this is a thing and we're going to, I mean, he really kind of forced his way in. It's stupid to deny him at a certain point. Sure. But I, I mean, I guess the same is kind of said for you as well. Like <laughs> when I saw you doing like the road to revolution and you're doing this, like you're like a, a valet. Or, a, or not a valet, a car driver. Yes. Is that what we're calling? Me, it Miss Elizabeth. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was a chauffeur. A chauffeur. I was a chauffeur. That's yeah. the word I meant. A chauffeur. The valet has the car when you're not yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what yeah. I meant. I was like in and around the neighborhood of the word that I was looking for. Um, you're a chauffeur doing the Road to Revolution. You're, now you're doing hey. EW, all of these things are really great, and it's awesome. Like super fun content. How did these ideas kind of come about? Like, what were those conversations with? I'm assuming it was all with Tony because he's so hands on with everything. But like, how did you get this off the ground? I was doing the WWE stuff, as you were familiar with previously, or maybe you weren't. Yeah, you were doing stuff on the bump. I was doing stuff on the bump. I had uh, I did WrestleMania after dark. It was a comedy special between the WrestleMania nights. Everyone loved it. We were doing more and more stuff. And then along came a big tide, shall we say, and washed everything away. So to continue the nautical analogy, I was adrift. <laughs> I had a I had a buoy and a dream. <laughs> and I started like, you know, it's still like pandemic, pandemic, although because this is still pandemic, but everyone's not going to get into it now. And I thought, well, I, I started toying with doing like a new wrestling character. I'm not I'm not sure if you've seen my work as babyface. I've seen I am familiar with your work as a babyface. I know all about it. So I'm doing that. I was working on a bunch of TV stuff. I was working on a project with David Arquette, who's a burgeoning young actor, and we're all pulling for him. And then I had just tweeted out that I had pitched it a while ago to WWE to be a chauffeur on the road to WrestleMania. And then Tony messaged me. Out of the blue. And he was like, hey. And he had been familiar with my past online comedy work, which I which blows my mind. So he was like, hey, why don't you this? I love this. And I think we could do it for this. And then I also maybe you could do some sit down interviews. I was like, oh, my. And then we, you know, start spitballing back and forth a little like this, a little like this. And I'm like, OK, great. We'll be in touch. And then 
you know, you don't think you don't hear anything. And then you start freaking out that he's more. Well, he must have thought it was a horrible idea. And then and then I got a message from Sanjay, I think, who I've known for a while. And we've always never gotten to work together. We've always tried and it doesn't work out. And then Kevin Sullivan, who edits them not the wrestler, the wonderful wrestling editor, Kevin Sullivan. And he was like, well, what do you want to do? And I was like, this is my I mean, I wrote an outline. I'm neurotic in a sense where like I will lay everything out for you. And the road to revolution was pretty much it. Yep. It's us in a car and we just whatever. I had written the, the Paul White one. I had written a couple others to be like, this is what it looks like. And then the Hey W, the Hey, I had a long list of like when I'm pitching something, it's like, here's a bunch of stupid titles. I'm just writing them to get the things flowing. And the first one was Hey W, which really was, you know, the, the stupidest one I could think of. And then we had a uh, like a conference call, and they're like, "Yeah, we I think we all agree that uh, the name of the show is Hey W." Like, oh, okay. <laughs> and then you know they put the logo together, and it looks like Hey Ooh, and I'm like, "Wow, this yeah. is a good." <laughs> I know when I first saw it, that's what I thought that it was. I was like, "Hey Ooh, okay, I get where you're going with it, but Hey E W makes more sense." The first one I wrote for that as an example was the Tony one because I thought if he doesn't want to sit through these. Then no one will like either you're in or out. So like this, here's making fun of you. And I had sent it to him and then we lined them up and we were about to go do his interview. I'm like, so did you read the questions? And he's like, nope. I'm like, okay. And he just, I guess, trusted me enough to go really do my own thing. No one's given me a note so far. Your prep work for this, then you do write out all the things that you want to talk about. Like what is your like method of putting together a show like that, that to the viewer looks so like loosey goosey, fun, like dumb. And I mean that in the best way. Uh, What is your prep work for that? Well, I always get neurotic and assume like they're going to be tired. They're not going to want to do this. So if I can do the questions in a way where if I just read them, then we're covered, we'll be fine. The jokes are in the question. They don't even have to do any. I mean, I have so far I have over 50 pages of notes of interviews that, that have not happened yet. It's like every day I will write something. I just, and then, but I, like you want to be prepared to make sure you have that, to make sure you don't have anything, you, you don't have nothing. But then everybody has been great and has added to it. And you also have to be open to them wanting to take stuff everywhere. Like Eddie Kingston is a great example. You know, we started talking about something and then he mentioned him knowing Shakespeare. I mean, that wasn't in my notes. I certainly don't talk to the people before it. And it is one take. And it's like what we get is what we get. And anything that we've edited has just been either for time or we didn't think was funny. I mean, there hasn't been like, oh, that was, you know. But and I also think to Kevin Sullivan's credit, it feels live like you can tell that it's one take. 100%. No, it definitely does have that vibe to it. I mean, aside from like the, I mean, Eddie Kingston is um, a a treasure, uh, all his own. Who else so far has like really stood out to you? I mean, you've had some of the cream of the crop of AEW sitting across uh, the on-air sign. Yeah, sure. The the chair, Uh the set. Sometimes we call them a set when they're on a show and we have things together. It's a set. Got it. I was not ready for Arn Anderson. I had thought there are some people I revere in a sense where I'm like, this person's going to hate this because they're better than in my head. Like they're above me. And he came in, he shook my hand, he sat down and, uh, and we just went. And it was, it was amazing. Even just him breathing while I'm miming. Uh, it's just, it's so ridiculous. And he added so much. And then it was just I like, fucking love Arn. What a sweet man he is. To be able to like put someone in that position where they're not normally shown in and he's hilarious and he's quick. And then people are writing like, I didn't realize Orin was that funny. And somebody else commented like, oh, my God, I have to go back and watch this guy's matches. Like, I thought he was just a serious whatever. And I'm like, oh, this is great. And then like, what a gift. Like, there's no other path in life where I would be able to do this with Arn Anderson. No, it's so funny. Somebody like Arn. I mean, when he was like describing like the flat butts. And that you'd call that, what, like a can of smashed biscuits or whatever it was? where are you coming from? (laughs) 
Oh, I love it. I, I, I love that you're getting to do this um, with AEW and that they're giving you the freedom, which I mean, it seems like they, you know, they really do give people the freedom to come in and do the thing that they're good at and just like trust the talent to do their thing and let it be great. So it, it's really cool to watch. Um, so my next question is, how do we revive Tuesday Night Titans? Because I know that you and I both really want to do Tuesday Night Titans. How do we make this happen? We had a tiff. Did we have a tiff online? We sure did. We had a Twitter battle. I did WrestleMania After Dark. They really like it. And they're like, people are internally. I love how they use the word internal. It could mean absolutely anyone. It could mean someone at catering said, hey, that was good. It means absolutely nothing. They're like, you know, they're pushing. They want to do more. They maybe want to do a weekly thing. And it's like, well, okay, well, I'm not going to do that every, I'm not going to do a, you know, a 90 minute show every week. Like, and then USA had started following oh. me because my dream was to redo. I don't know if you're familiar with USA's Up All Night. No. It had Rhonda Shear and Gilbert Gottfried hosted it. And they would do interstitial comedy scenes in between B movies. It would be like a late night block of B movies. And you would do like this comedy stuff in between. I was like, well, let's just bring that back. That's fantastic. And then so they had do, talked about it. It was on the table, apparently. And then I guess you caught wind. USA was tweeting about it. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Back up. Yeah, I don't. Uh, <laughs> how do we revive it? I mean, let's face facts. It was not a very good show. So maybe it was not a great show, but it had good bones, as we could say. I feel like there was something there that could be built upon. Sure. But I don't think that's necessarily an original invention, like a talk show format and good personalities. My point is, I don't think we I don't think we necessarily need the name either. You're locked into Tuesday nights. And then they when when I did the bump, they gave me Wednesday morning wake up. That was the name of the segment. And they they ripped off the TNT logo. I also wanted to do uh, Rampage has started airing. They got preempted. They're airing at like 530 and 730. I wanted to do dinner and a match. I saw you tweeting about that. I think that that's great. I actually love that idea. It was TBS used to do dinner and a movie, right? Yeah. That should happen. I mean, I remember watching that growing up and was like, oh, wait, this is a thing that's happening. And like, you know, it's, it's obviously inspired you. <laughs> yes. I mean, I'm. I mean, I saw you tweet it and I was like, wait, this is actually a really great idea. This needs to be like elaborated upon. What were some of the other things that you like pitched to WWE when you were there and some of the stuff with AEW? I mean, it seems with AEW, you've actually just been able to do most of the stuff that you've wanted to do so far. Let me, yes. Let me say the main difference is everything I've pitched with AEW that's been discussed has gotten on and gotten made easily. I'm, I'm, I guess two for two with WWE. I was like two for 40 and there was stuff that would get very close to happening and be done and we're ready to go. And then it just doesn't. And it's like, that place is like, a, you know, it's like a city, you know? Sure, I know. One of the I things know. I had there that I was dead set on doing, it was this part of something else, but it was a segment called Is Andre the Giant Hot? Because there's some pictures of him where he's a beast of a man. But then other pictures, there's he's like a hipster looking. He has a little camera. He's in Japan. And it's like, hey, oh, my God. So it would just be me and a guest and we've got through pictures of Andre the Giant. This was one that was close to being made. Yeah, it was good. It was part of something else. It was just a segment. And I had written it into other stuff that that had not happened. What else did I want to do? I mean, there's a bunch of stuff. They wanted to do a SummerSlam special like WrestleMania. And I had written it before the tide came. But like those kind of things I don't like to think about because they kill me because they're finished. Like I did all the work and it's funny and it works. But I'm moving on. I do have a bunch of. AEW ideas. Somebody actually just tweeted the great thing about me being at AEW is that the roster is so deep. It's a real smorgasbord that there are a bunch of people I need to have on. 100%. Yeah, there's no lack of people for you to like hang out with and like do some interesting, cool, weird shit with. And also, you know, Tony was nice enough to do the second episode so nobody can say shit. No one can say no. Until you ask John, I that needs to happen. What are the odds that he's even seen me ever? That's a good question. I don't know. He's really in his own world at TV is. So yeah, that's debatable. I'll ask him though. Good. If you could. I will. I'll circle around. I'll put in a good word. This is ready. John, if you catch him in the right time too, because John. Uh, what does that mean? I'm not around him all day like you. Well, if you catch him in the right mood, I guess I should say. Does he have a ring? <laughs> 
Because if you get him in the right time and he wants to like play and hang, I, I feel like he would give you some pretty interesting nuggets for you to uh, to have some fun with. Anyways, my dream is to make this happen. I mean, I'll be in Vegas. I'll have a seat if he's around. I think he's on the program. He is, he is booked on the program. He will be there. What is it in wrestling that you want to do? In terms of what I want to do, for some reason, a bunch of people talked about me, uh, tweeted about me being on commentary today. And I can I can certainly do that. I can certainly, you know, I don't know, continue to host things. I could manage if I had to manage. I could wrestle if I need to wrestle, because, again, it's a hammerlock. We've seen it. And then I also want to just continue to do the things I'm doing and get paid more for them to enable me doing more of the same things. 100%. That's the goal, right? To just like keep the bullshit machine moving forward. Keep it going. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting too, just to be able to like, obviously to be working for a wrestling company, be in there as you have all of these tools as a host, as an entertainer, also as a wrestler, the fact that you can take a bump obviously makes a big difference. If you were ever to do um, some kind of storyline on, hey, EW, that requires you getting into some kind of a spat with somebody. Although I pride myself on this being the least violent talk show in wrestling history. Although I, 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 I totally forgot to tell you this. When you were doing backstage, you had David Arquette on the show and he was supposed to be in some promo battle with Booker T. Yeah, which was actually the only time that Booker T was nice to somebody during promo school. So I was like, hey, do you know that you're in this thing? Like, this is what you have to do. And he's like, no, I had no idea. I thought I was just on the show and they would talk. I'm like, no, you have, you know, whatever. So he's like, I don't know what to do. I need your help. So I had armed him with a bevy of insults for everyone, CM Punk, everyone. But he was too sweet to pull the trigger. And then Punk was like, you should have went harder on everybody. I was like, and then I'm yelling at my TV. Who wants to yell at David Arquette? I do it almost weekly. (laughs) He just has such a a sweet demeanor about him. Nobody wants to yell at Dewey. But Booker roasted people during promo school. Like he did not hold back. He went for the jugular. But David Arquette was the only person that he like pulled back on a little bit. Was like, all right, I like you, David Arquette. Yeah, because he knew he was just bumbling. David, he had a clear shot. He had my insults. He could have changed the whole. It's a shame. What did you write about me? I don't think I wrote anything about you necessarily. I think punk stuff and Booker T stuff primarily. Because I don't feel like you had enough. I don't feel like you have that much to criticize. (laughs) Thank you. I'll take that. I will take it. Um. Yeah. How did you even become friends with David Arquette? What is this relationship between the two of you? I find it fascinating. Where did it begin? What's the origin story? So David has a a guy he used to write a show with named Ben Joseph. Ben Joseph is a comedy writer. He lives in Toronto. He would go to the indie shows. He was a fan of mine. I did not know who he was. He was a fan of mine. And David was starting to want to get into wrestling again to maybe, maybe do even before the doc was really a thing. He was just seeing what's out there. Was this pre or post Nick Gage match? Oh God. Pre, pre, pre like years before. And Ben was like, Hey, if you want to get into this stuff again, you should follow this guy. He'll, you know, whatever. And then of course he saw my old show business tweets and his family has been in it for like four generations. Forever. Yeah. I'm more, you know, interested in his father and his grandfather than I am in him. Like, seriously, like, and I'm not. You're so weird. Of course you are. His grandfather was Charlie Weaver. He was on Hollywood Squares. He was the bottom square. That's pretty amazing. It is pretty amazing. I do love a good, like, the whole family is in the entertainment business and they've got these like deep, deep roots. I do find that really fascinating, especially like the kids that like grow up on those sets and they grow up going to studio lots and like all that stuff. It's I find it so cool. It's so not magical with him. Like, it's just like a family of plumbers. Like, this is what we did. Like his dad was like a character actor, like the longest IMDb. What was his dad in? His name was Louis Arquette. He was a bartender in, I believe, The Great Outdoors. Do you remember that movie? Okay, okay, okay. He was in Waiting for Guffman. Oh, he plays, like, I think the police chief in Ready to Rumble. Oh, hell yeah. If you see his face, you'd be like, oh, my God. And he was also one of the voices in Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling. That's so great. That's the stuff that I care about and want to talk about. 
you know? So then we really sort of bonded over that. And then I think I also had a, like a knack of explaining wrestling to him in show business terms where he would now understand it. So like when we wrestled and, you know, when we, when we started tweeting back and forth, I didn't realize he was so genetically naive. Like he's, you know, his heart is always first. And my heart is now, my heart is so far back. It's so fragile that it's the last thing. And so when I would be messing with him on Twitter, he would always think it's real. And then that became it. And then it turned into this thing where it's like, oh, did we start a thing? I was like, I'm sorry. I thought you were a show business veteran. Like, what is wrong with you? Oh, my gosh. So it must, I mean, how, like him getting back in the wrestling world, then that must have rocked his world, like emotionally, because it can be so brutal. After we wrestled, we started teaming together as like, you know, I hate him, but I'm teaming as basically Charles Grodin and Martin Short in Clifford. Like, that's really the relationship here. I'm a heel, he's a face, but for some reason we're teaming together. And every time I would get on the mic and I would apologize for any of this even happening. And I would say, David, from the bottom of my heart, and I would get very close to his face, say, you are... (laughs) You are the most talentless human being I've ever met in my life. And he would be so emotionally available in his performance that every time he would go, uh, that still hurts. <laughs> he would still like feel it and you would feel sad and then I would feel bad, but then people would boo. We'd be like, great, we've got something here. Thanks so much for hanging out with us, guys. Uh, Hopefully you enjoyed the week, enjoyed the best of the sessions. You guys can hear the full-length interviews um, anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Just uh, download them, give them a listen, give them a like, a review. And if you want to see what you're hearing, head on over to my YouTube page. Just search Renee Paquette. It's all up there, and you can see us talking having this interview, having a hangout. It's all up on there. Um, And that's been like a really great, cool, growing community. So uh, I'm really enjoying the hangouts on the YouTube as well. So we can see you guys over there. And jump in the comment section, you know. Jump in, chime in, leave a comment. Uh, We like filtering through them all, reading about them. Maybe even like, I don't know, some constructive criticism if you had it. We're all ears. God, did I open up a can of worms by saying that? I don't know. Be nice. Be cool in there. This has been The Sessions.